It's all, you know, I, I love the dynamics of what we've been doing with, um, you know, Trans Tuesday, some nights we're live, some nights it's Zoom social, some nights it's club members only. Um, but then when we do that, when I'm not here for a week or two live, it, it gives me the butterflies a little bit and it's all like exciting and new. <laughs> and since we're continuing from our last talk, it, it just feels to me like we're just going on from where we were. Yeah. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for your time um, with sharing your story that no. we got so much positive feedback um, where you took your story, what you shared about just the butterfly moment coming out of the cocoon, you know, yeah. going into Roxy's. Um, I want to yeah. make sure that we give her a proper shout out. Oh, well, Rory, 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 yeah. going into yeah. her studio and what, how that has changed your life ever since. I, I think that struck a chord with a lot of people. Yeah. In a way it's, um, it's a pretty common experience. And like you touched on, uh, having the first time out be a makeover is, uh, is pretty typical. And a lot of people have similar experiences. And uh, with mine, it wasn't like you said last week, it wasn't that I hadn't seen myself that way, but it was still an awakening nonetheless. And what I still remember so clearly was the first steps out the door when I left her shop after I, I was there for like three hours, but then I left as Susan, I didn't have the name yet actually, but I left and just being out in the world and feeling that breeze and, you know, being outside and, you know, free to go where I wanted to go, it, you know, in that presentation, it was such a, uh, it, it was such a liberating moment. It felt like uh, sort of the chains were off and, and I could do what I wanted to do. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, I think it's, I think that's what's so special about your story is it's unique to you, but there is that common thread that so many people share. And it's not something that is unattainable. You didn't climb Everest. Right, right. You went to the salon and walked in a shopping mall and that feels like Everest to people, but it's something that can be done. If you, if you are, are brave and ready to take that step, it's not an impossibility, but it is, it is as momentous as climbing that mountain, that, yeah. that huge step. Yeah, that's a good comparison because it reminds me of the first time I was going to go to a mall, a shopping mall, a major big shopping mall with Susan. And I had to go there first in mail mode to walk around and sort of envision myself that way. And I, I was kind of testing myself. I'll walk through here and in my mind, I'm Susan and can I do this? And so I'm looking at people and I'm imagining them seeing me that way. And also I was sort of casing out, you know, where are all the ex exits? You know, so if I need to dash out quickly, I'll know how I can get out. And knowing where the shops were so I could deliberately go from here to there without any confusion. You know, so I was at that point where I had to plan every step before I would actually do it. And now the idea of an outing like that is just so second nature. So it's a little bit funny in a way, looking back, uh, thinking about how difficult that was and what a climb that seemed at the moment. But then it's not that long ago. 
And I think, you know, for people who are in that situation, they can know that, that you can get past that pretty quickly. Yeah. And now you just have the clear view from the top. I mean, think <laughs> of all the mental energy you're saving now, not doing those mental gymnastics when yeah. you need to go to the store, when you just want to go and, and have lunch somewhere. Right. I mean, the best way to describe it is just, you know, normal living. It's just like what anyone you know, would or should expect. And, you know, that's all you can really say about it. And that's what, you know, living your authentic life is all about. Just having peace the way you want to live out in the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, it's 8.02 <laughs> and we've been, we've been talking for like 20 minutes. We just went live a couple of minutes ago. I should like be recording all the behind the scenes conversations we have before we go live. Um, Want to welcome everybody. If you're on with us, you know it is Trans Tuesday. It's our favorite night of the week. We already have fabulous club members joining in. Susan, you've, you are such a hit. You are such an inspiration to so many. Uh, Chloe Webb says, hi, Susan and Cass. Hi, Chloe. We have Erica watching with us. Ashley Glennon says, hey, everyone. Susan, you look super great tonight. Um, Grace says she hasn't gone out in men's clothes for two weeks now. Congratulations, Grace. Thank you, Ashley. And hi, Jill Canto. Um, well, welcome everybody. It's Trans Tuesday and our big, big welcome to Susan Holtz joining us on screen from Chicago. Susan, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Well, thanks so much for having me on and uh, glad to hear about all the people that are joining us live. So hello to everybody. And I'm so excited for the conversation that we're going to have with you and I in the Zoom and with our club members and our audience in the chat. I am very excited to hear everyone's commentary at home because we have some interesting things to talk about tonight. Uh, and tonight, this is we are hosting our sister of the month. And if you didn't get to watch her story yet, you're going to know why she is our sister of the month, Susan Holtz. She, we aired her story last week, Susan's Journey as a Trans Woman. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, go to our website, myfeminineheart.com, and you will find links on the homepage and under about our episodes, the Transition Journeys page, you will find Susan's story there. One of the perks of being a club member, one thing that Susan is, is club members get to watch the entire episode for free. But we love these inspirational stories. So even if you are not a club member, you can listen to it for free. And for anybody out there who is brand new to what tonight is, uh, tonight is Trans Tuesday by My Feminine Heart. We are a membership club that supports trans women living their best, most authentic life. We have an online show that is interactive that you're watching right now. We have a private uh, Facebook community online. And uh, we have fabulous conversations with amazing trans women out living their best lives. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So Susan... Uh, if you didn't get a chance, go watch her story. One of the things that I, I really loved about your story is, um, you know, you shared that you had come out to your wife very early in your courtship, and you have been married for 42 years with the beautiful, full support of your lovely spouse, and you were happy. You Now, you we talked in, in your story, you did this gymnastics 
of ninja-ing around the house to make sure that all blinds were closed if you were dressed as Susan. But for 40 years, whenever you wanted to be Susan, you dressed at home and you thought that, I mean, that was as good as it gets, right? Yeah, it was a comfortable situation. I had my wife's support. And, um, you know, I thought that was as far as it would go. And as we mentioned last time, I was having thoughts about going out, going back about 20 years, but I didn't act on it. And I didn't even think it through. And I didn't understand what it meant to be thinking about that. And as we talked about, I didn't really connect it with identity, but um, I thought of it as a private thing. And I was getting a certain degree of fulfillment from it, but I didn't know what it would become obviously. And I didn't know how much more you know, integral or essential to my life it ultimately would be uh, like as of now, where it's really you know, central to my you know, day-to-day living and you know, the people that I am uh, you know, working with you know, in the different uh, community functions that I have and also a growing group of friends. You know, so you know, my life has really changed with that, but all that time I never imagined that I would go in that direction. And tonight we're going to talk about what this new life has been for you because you first stepped out of your home after 40 years of comfort in in your married home. You stepped out as Susan two years ago and um, but never looked back. And there are so many amazing things that you've experienced. And some of them we're, we're going to talk about as many as we can tonight. Um, one of which is, you know, Susan is a leader in the, um, on the board for the Chicago Gender Society, and she is doing an incredible job advocating for uh, the transgender community in Chicago and around the world. And she's, you know, through COVID has had found a magical way to connect with people around the globe. And uh, so we're going to hear more about how that's been continuing tonight as meetings have gone back to being, you know, hybrid in person. But one of the things I really want to touch on, because I loved, I loved your story last week, and we talked about 40 years of comfort, and then this, you had a, a moment in your life that caused you to step out, and then this two-year transformation in the last two years, which has led to you to being a leader in the community and on screen with us tonight. But you have something else really unique and significant to you that we didn't really, we hinted at, but we didn't go into depth on. Um, one of the things that I've noticed and, um, you know, we've jumped right in. I'm, I'm Cassandra Storm, the host of the show. And, you know, we've been having our show for the last year and a half. And one of the things that I noticed is so often guests come on and they share their story. And there comes a moment when discovering their identity and what does their authentic life mean becomes all consuming. And so many of our guests talk through this phase where it is, you know, they, they go through their, their discovery and their acceptance, their self-love and pursuit of their best life. And there comes this time when that is the most significant part of their life is, is figuring out who they are. And then after years of um, living this journey, finding their authenticity, maybe transitioning, maybe not there comes a, a, a peace and a calmness to that. But for you, Susan, you never really had this all-consuming part of it. I mean, I know that you may have felt all-consumed trying to figure out going to the mall for the first time or closing the blinds in your home, but you have had 
you know, for so many dressing and cross-dressing and figuring out who they were at a young age and not quite feeling like something was, was right, but not knowing what that meant, that was pretty all-consuming for a young person. But for you, you had a lot of significant things happen to you in your life that were more dominant than the idea of, of your identity. I mean, and you had mentioned you had a comfort level being at home and hadn't really thought that identity was part of that. It was just something that you enjoyed. Can you share a little bit more about this incredible background of your life that has had a kind of different effect on how you've looked at your, your authenticity and your identity? Well, uh, first of all, like so many of us, this uh, struggle with gender identity or, or just the gender struggles period started at a very young age. I was at least as far back as six or seven when I knew that this feeling in me was different in terms of that identification with what is feminine and not necessarily thinking of myself as female, but it was something like uh, something's not really as it should be. And I had that connection there or identification that, uh, you know, I had a sense was wrong. And you get signals from society and from family members that this is not, you know, how I should be. And you learn how to squelch that. So for me, that was all kind of similar to what, you know, so many of us have. And I had that as an overhang or a backdrop, I would say, uh, through my whole life. But there were other things that took uh, precedence. And it got me thinking about something I've read about uh, in a psychological theory. It's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Human Needs. And this has popped up in things I've read periodically. So basically, it's a pyramid where at the bottom, uh, you have different levels uh, that have to be satisfied uh, of your needs, uh, you know, basic levels, you know, such as your physiological needs, uh, shelter, uh, safety and security, uh, the basics have to be in place before you can work up the pyramid to self-actualization. So I kind of related to that where, yeah, anyone would want to realize their true self and work all this out. But I had other urgent things that were kind of blowing that off to the side. And, um, you know, so going back, uh, you know, quickly uh, to the beginning, you know, I lost my father when I was two. And uh, my mother was, uh, you know, a single parent, you know, having me and my brother to raise. But as of when I was about six years old, she became very ill. She had a, a tumor on her spinal cord, which through various uh, treatments, um, it was not successful. And she ended up being a paraplegic and paralyzed from the waist down and, um, you know, obviously not able to support us. And we were just in a terrible state of poverty and her life was becoming increasingly miserable. And I, I remember uh, at times her anguish where she could accept the limitations of her mobility and all that, but the excruciating pain that she had to live with that could not be relieved, uh, you know, that was what was most unbearable. And then as a child feeling so helpless to that, I mean, it, it still hurts me when I think back, I don't think a day goes by where I don't think of her consciously in some way, but the inability to do anything to relieve that, and that just stuck with me. But, but going forward, I lost her when I was 14. Uh, my brother and I stayed on our own. 
and we were pretty self-sufficient and we managed to do that without my having to fall under a guardianship. Uh, but then I had my own health issues from birth and, uh, and I was born with a very rare uh, disorder where all the organs in my body, all the internal organs are a reverse image of you know, what the normal physiology would be. And uh, you know, it was kind of passed off as an oddity, uh, but a person can live fairly normally with that. But it's so rare that uh, generally when you encounter a health practitioner, you're likely to be the only patient of that type they've ever had in their career. So they're very excited to see somebody like that, but you know, they don't really have experience in, in what that means. You know, so at the same time, I was having a lot of issues actually uh, starting as an infant of uh, periodic uh, respiratory infections. And I was very prone to uh, you know, getting sick with uh, you know, multiple pneumonias and sinus infections. But you know, being young, you know, I, I thought of it more as a nuisance. And uh, even with the compromised uh, respiratory system, you know, I was on the track and cross country teams in high school and I was a trained you know, distance runner and I retained the runner's body after that and running has always been important. So back then I had the advantage of youth and felt like, well, I can take care of myself. I can, you know, I, I'm in good shape. You know, I, it was more of a nuisance to me than anything through those years. Uh, but it wasn't until I was in my mid thirties, you know, about 35, when it got fully diagnosed as being a rare uh, syndrome within that rare population already that has a defect at a cellular level that affects a whole bunch of, um, you know, processes within the body, you know, which also particularly impacts, you know, the respiratory system. So it explained how that was all connected but by that, by that time, I had irreparable uh, damage, you know, to my lungs. And uh, there was a lot of scarring and, you know, permanent damage that could only be controlled going forward. So I had a COPD that was at, considered at a moderate level. And um, I went into some really extreme uh, care. And, you know, the antibiotic treatment never seemed to be enough to stave it off. And the pneumonias were getting worse. Uh, so then I was just not put on continual antibiotics. There was never any break from that. Uh, and then a few months later, I started having all these neurological problems that were very alarming that was affecting all my extremities and uh, my balance, my sense of balance, coordination, um, incontinence. Um, I can't even remember all of it, but it, I got into a merry-go-round of going from one specialist to another that was attacking each piece of these problems. And I was on all these prescriptions without anybody really overseeing it and managing the healthcare or really understanding what the interactions of this could be. And then over an eight or nine month period, I was just in this downward spiral where everything was just breaking down uh, continually. And then it was presumed that uh, them to be uh, multiple sclerosis, uh, which can take many different directions, including a straight down path, or you can have relapses and remissions that may end up being progressive. Uh, but I kind of chose at that point to get control of the situation and get myself off of 
all these disparate uh, treatments and uh, you know the lack of control I had and, and with all the medications that were just unmanageable. And I was weaning myself off of all that. And I'm not advocating a break from uh, conventional medicine, but I did go through a period of two years where I completely removed myself from that and went into you know, natural uh, you know, remedies like oversight of a naturopath and uh, went on a macrobiotic diet, which is very extreme. And I, I, I really studied all this a lot and I learned all the methods of food preparation with that. And, uh, and that was a level of extreme that, I, that was not really sustainable, but I learned a lot from that. The other thing I learned though, is I can't go off on my own because I got another case of pneumonia then, which, because uh, I wasn't under a doctor's care and my naturopath was treating me with natural remedies, but I was just getting worse and weaker and weaker and I was losing weight at a, an alarming rate. And uh, so I found a good, uh, you know, a, a good uh, conventional uh, primary care physician that really got me on the road of a maintenance program that is kept, you know, manageable. So, you know, I've been fine. So, so I've had 30 years now of really being completely stable. And then there's the damage that had been done previously, but nothing has progressed after that point. And I'm actually in better shape and better overall function than I think I ever have been in my life. I'm, I'm in my late 60s now, but I don't think I've ever been as healthy as I am now. And it's been completely stable for the last you know, 30 years at this point. No, Susan, I don't think anybody would look at you and believe that you were in your late 60s. So <laughs> what you have been doing, you've been taking very good care of yourself. You can see yeah. from the inside out. Um, I'm so sorry for, you know, what you have gone through and, you know, the loss of your parents. So I think, you know, we we didn't delve into this because it's such an important topic. Um, <clears throat> but we didn't really delve into it in, in your in your aired story last week. Um, but, you know, as we're at, for anybody who would have seen that episode and, and are listening tonight, I think you can understand what we're talking about now, where, you know, the psychological pyramid that you're talking about, Susan, where, you know, so many guests will come on the show and they'll talk about, you know, growing up and their families and how they started to explore dressing at a young age and, you know, feeling, you know, different about their identity at a young age and not sure what that means. Your young age was survival mode. So, you know, dealing with the loss of one parent, um, the illness of another parent, uh, the poverty that came along with that, the constant stress of, so, you know, when people are, when you talk about in your story, meeting your wife at a young age in your early twenties and just sharing, this is just a part of who you are and not being the most significant part of your arc, when you're hearing these health issues, you know, this, your, your wife is learning all these other things too. So I think that, you know, um, for some people, you know, these revelations in their life at that certain point may seem like the most significant thing. You're still working on other parts of the pyramid. Yeah. And I do want to point out though, uh, that, I mean, I know the trans experience well enough that I'm not, I don't at all want to uh, imply that we're discounting that because I think uh, 
you know, what a trans person faces touches all those levels, including that base level of physiological needs because of that struggle of who they are physio physiologically. So, you know, those are incredible challenges just in and of themselves. But the point in my story is not to say, well, look at how bad I had it, but it's more that it gave me a different perspective of where being trans fits into my whole picture or the uh, context that I put that in for me and how it relates to my life holistically, I think. So it's not to minimize the, um, you know, the challenges of that, but it's just, I'm seeing it through maybe a bit of a different lens, I guess would be the way to put it. But you know, our audience is connecting with that part of your story too. So we have a couple club members weighing in. Um, Donna Lewin is wondering, it seems like childhood trauma is in our community. Do you find this to be true? I would, I would say yes. I think, yeah. I think for a lot of people, you find childhood trauma that, you know, I, everybody has, has something, you know, that they've had to, to overcome. Um, but we've definitely heard those stories amongst our sisters and in, in the community, but, and you know, Bronwyn says, you know, which comes first that the trauma is not a physical illness. Does the trauma come after the gender issues? Um, yeah, Donna's very much connecting with your story too. She just shared, you know, her mom died um, when she was five. I mean, yeah. oh, I'm so sorry, Donna. Um, yeah. Well, and then with the, uh, well, the trauma of facing being trans in our culture and, you know, going back to the time period when I was growing up, it's, uh, to say the least, it's very isolating. I mean, you feel like you're the only person in the world who's facing these issues. And it's kind of like when I was in my health crisis, where I had that same feeling of isolation that, you know, I'm having to deal with things that I'm not able to connect with anybody else. I mean, it's not that there aren't other people facing health struggles, but I felt like I was all alone. I mean, I like had you're to, adding another level to yeah. an already traumatic, difficult situation. Yeah, but right. And if you feel isolated because of any of these challenges, there's a, a level of trauma that goes with that socially. Yeah. Uh, you know, have you, you know, it seems like you and, and your wife are such a tight unit and a tight team. Does all this trauma um, that you've that you've dealt with um, does that make you two more isolated together? Well, we have a shared experience and that's part of the, uh, the power of our relationship is what we've been through. And I'm giving kind of a one-sided picture because uh, Jean has had her challenges and some major crises of her own and I've been there for her. So we know without any question that we're there for each other. We both have proven it repeatedly uh, and that creates a special type of bond, you know, in any relationship that lasts that long, you have this rich uh, shared history one way or another. I mean, there's a lot of happiness in there too, but, you know, uh, but that, that just that knowledge without any question that we have each other that we can absolutely count on, you know, that is kind of a cornerstone of our relationship. How wonderful for you to have that support system. Um, you know, losing significant support systems in your life growing up and then creating such a safe 
space and finding such a wonderful partner for yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in, and in returning to your, your health issues, you met in your early twenties and it was what, 10 years later, you were still trying to figure out your health didn't stabilize until your early to mid thirties. Right. Yeah. Like I said, I, I, well, in my twenties in particular, I pretty much ignored it. I would say, and I was, you know, running a lot. <laughs> like I said before, I, I was in very good shape in certain ways. I was completely consumed with my career at that time and just very busy and, you know, and just anything that would get in the way of that, you know, such as, you know, some type of uh, extreme, um, you know, resurgence of sickness, you know, it would just be getting, it would be a nuisance that's getting in the way of what I need to focus on. I was just very career oriented and, you know, and I didn't, I guess I didn't take it seriously enough then because I didn't have uh, a diagnosis that fully explained what was going on. Uh, and of course, I would get treatment if I had these infections, but there wasn't anything uh, preventive that was being done then. So it just progressively was getting worse and worse. And as I said, it wasn't until my mid-30s that it all kind of came to a head in terms of being so bad that it can't be ignored. I mean, it was one thing, but also having finally a team of doctors that understood what this was, what this really was and what was happening, you know, and that was scary, of course. And, um, and there was a point where it seemed like it could all be, you know, over very soon. And um, and a couple of like the darkest moments was like after a second surgery that I had on my sinuses, it was very extensive and deep. Uh, there was a mishap that occurred and, you know, that night, it led to an emergency where I came very close to dying then. And, um, you know, and then later when I was at the peak of the neurological stuff that was just going crazy. So like from day to day, you just didn't know what was going to pop up next. And then being told at one point that it's narrowed down to either being ALS or MS and that's all. And then that's thrown in your lap and, you know, and what do you say then, you know, uh, I mean, luckily it started to get better soon after that. I, I had like an eight or nine month period of that flare up and nothing like that has ever recurred again, which is incredibly lucky. You know, and there are cases of MS that can be like that where you can have one initial episode and it's like a one and done and doesn't come back. And apparently that's what that was, you know, so so I feel lucky. And, you know, going back just briefly about my mother, I guess one thing that always stuck with me was, you know, a sense of gratitude of having the use of all my limbs and being able to be mobile, to be on my feet. I don't think it's a coincidence that I had gravitated to running, you know, with seeing the uh, condition my mother was in and having lost the use of her legs. You know, so another thing that I have a conscious sense of gratitude every day really is my health and ability to function and to get around and take care of myself and to have the ability to, you know, pursue this uh, self-actualization that we're talking about without having all that hang over my head to the point that it dominates everything. I can understand. And no wonder then, you know, even just being a runner, how much joy that must have brought for you, just being able yeah. to just go and, and run. I have to yeah. say, never to the um, level that you have had, but I've dealt with 
medical mysteries and there and that moment where you get off the western medicine bandwagon and you take a break because it is exhausting when you don't know what's wrong and you're going to doctor after doctor after doctor who yeah. doesn't know either yeah. um, and until you go through that it's it's hard to imagine but um, I commend you for finding the right balance. Cause sometimes you go and you know, you get off completely away from doctors, you go in one direction, then you kind of balance back. And whatever you are doing now, um, you look beautiful, you look healthy and happy. Um, and you know, one of the things that you had shared is that because of what you've dealt with medically, which is one of the things we really wanted to talk about tonight, is um that in combination perhaps with other reasons you have not um used western medicine uh as part of your journey as susan you've not brought in uh synthetic like hormones you've not pursued surgeries uh but you have found other kind of holistic ways to feel your your most authentic self what has been working for you because whatever you're doing, it, it looks like it's working. And I know there's yeah. so many people at home that they may share similar medical issues or for other personal reasons, they may want to feel more feminine or to look more feminine, but cannot or, or will not do hormones or surgery. So what are things that other people can do at home? And I know we have comments coming in from our audience and uh, from conversations I had with some of my yoga students today, I know that, you know, um, there are a lot of experimentations and things that have been going on. So if anybody in the, our audience would like to share what they have done as well to help live their most authentic life, you know, maybe with or without, you know, hormones and surgery, this is, we'd love for you to share. Um, yeah. But yeah, Susan, please lead us off. What are some of the things that you've been doing? Yeah, well, uh, diet is really uh, is such a main area of focus for me. And I mentioned I've been on that macrobiotic diet, which if anybody knows about that, they know how isolating that can be because you basically can't go to any restaurant and find what you would need to really stick to that. So how do you socialize with people? But going through that, I learned a lot, not just about a plant-based diet, but also about balance and proportion of what you eat to get the most uh, you know, absorption from those nutrients that you have. So it's not good enough to think that, okay, uh, broccoli is healthy. So the more broccoli I eat, I'll just be that much healthier. You know, it doesn't, it's not that simple, but you need to have a balanced diet and you have to have a proportionate uh, diet where the different nutrients are working together to complement each other and how they're supporting the body and all the body, bodily functions. Uh, so Susan, a uh, quick question. Is yeah. it a macrobiotic diet or a micro diet where uh, you can, oh, where you know, but which one is the one where you can only eat food grown locally, like everything uh, locally sourced? Well, a macrobiotic uh, diet recommends that, and it's not always possible, but, uh, and depending on where you live, that's going to be very limiting. And, and that was the trouble I ran into, which is there are a lot of foods that are very healthy, good for you. And I think we have good methods of, you know, storage and shipment in this country where I can rely on that. I don't have to go to that extreme because that narrows it down so much, you know, and then there would be, you know, perfectly healthy uh, 
vegetables or even having it in a pure steamed form is considered off limits. You know, so I just had to kind of tailor it to what made sense for me. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting because at the time, one thing I didn't mention on top of everything else was I used to suffer from migraine headaches and I had a 20 year period where these would pop up periodically. And if I would get it, I would be in for like seven to 10 days in a row of being essentially incapacitated for several hours a day. So a migraine is not like a head, it's called a migraine headache, but it's not anything like a headache. It, you end up flat on your back in a dark room and you can't do anything until that passes. Uh, and I was having to put up with that for 20 years and after seeing allergists and having my different allergies um, supposedly diagnosed, but it was only when I went on the macrobiotic diet and I had gotten a number of um, foods you know, out of my system entirely, <clears throat> it ended up being you know, like uh, an elimination diet without intending it to be that. And uh, I'll never forget, you know, Gene and I were in a park uh, I had gone a full month on this diet. I was feeling great. Uh, you know, I had this immediate benefits I was finding. And I thought, well, what harm would it do to have a frozen yogurt now? There's a shop right here. And as soon as I started eating it, I got hit like with a ton of bricks where that migraine just overpowered me instantly. And that was not the way I ever would get them before because there was never a clear cause and effect until I had gotten you know, dairy out of my system entirely and then took it in. And then I could see what, you know, an impact, you know, so the reason I point that out, uh, among other things is there was no diagnosis I had to identify the allergy to a dairy protein that triggered that, but I had to discover it through that, you know, elimination process. It was only by going through that. So you know, and that's another thing that has never recurred. So I have no dairy in my diet whatsoever. You know, it's a lot of, you know, uh, basic preparation of fruits, uh, vegetables, whole grains, and um, we don't eat any red meat, but uh, we do have fish uh, pretty regularly. Uh, there's uh, a lot of healthy fats, you know, that come from nuts and seeds, you know, and the omega-3 oils that are in certain types of fish. Um, and, you know, a lot of this contributes to a hormonal balancing that is, you know, optimal for health overall. And I know uh, Marina is somebody who talks about that as well, but the, uh, I'm not at all against uh, hormonal therapy for trans people, you know, if they, if it's well managed, I don't think anybody should be self-medicating that, but it really should be monitored closely. But for me, my my balance of my system is so, you know, delicate, you know, with what I've been through that I can't, you know, take the risk of the side effects that would go with going on hormonal therapy for a specific purpose of feminization. So as you mentioned, I've had to take, you know, other methods, but I have found that, you know, through diet and exercise and skincare, you know, I get a lot of, uh, improvement that is very consistent with uh, feminization. I'm not going to claim that it has the potency, you know, that medical treatment would have of being on HRT or what surgeries can do, you know, but, you know, 
the kind of uh, program of exercise that I'm on as far as how I develop my body and the foods that I eat do contribute, you know, to a presentation that's consistent, you know, with feminization. So I, so I consider that to be a big aid. And I mentioned skincare, and that's really from the inside out. If you're on a healthy diet and, you know, exercise, which improves the delivery of nutrients to the skin as it's developing, you know, under the surface, and then having a good regimen of products, you know, I mean, just in the last two or three years, I mean, being motivated by going out in public, you know, I paid a lot more attention to my skin then, and it has transformed tremendously just in the last couple of years, you know, and really everything about my physicality has improved where I never could have considered presenting myself as well as I do now at any time previously in my life. I mean, I had the advantages of youth, you know, long ago. And, uh, you know, I developed, you know, makeup skills early on. And because of the softness of my features, naturally, I didn't have to do that much to, uh, you know, to get a feminizing effect through makeup. It was pretty basic, you know, but I never would have had the whole range of presentation that's necessary, you know, to really integrate effectively out in public, you know, any time before I, before what I'm able to do now. Yeah, I mean, you're you're hitting on so many things, Susan, and and I do want to stress overall whenever we talk about because we, you know, like you mentioned, Marina Cottrell, a health expert who's come on our show. We've, um, you know, skincare. We just had Casey Grimm talk about skincare a couple of weeks ago with our club <clears throat> members. You know, we we've had you know Meg Hayes come on and teach us workouts. So health is is something that I love to talk about, but I I always do like to you know premise it with you know, you have to do what's right for you. You should never change anything without consulting with the doctor first. Um, and obviously, you know, the things that we're sharing are things that have worked for you or myself or other people on the show. That doesn't mean it's a one size fits all for everyone. But, you know, yeah. one of the things that we commonly talk about, um, you know, is when we are, when we are upset and when we're dealing with stress and we're, we're there's an unhappiness you know, there are so many coping mechanisms that people use to suppress that, um, you know, overeating, drinking, drugs, um, different things that create like a sense of euphoria and kind of a disconnect. And, and when we're kind of pumping all that stuff into our body, it gives us an, an instant pleasure, but then, then we're becoming more and more disconnected from our body. And so you're really focusing on diet and exercise was kind of clearing all that away. Definitely, I'm sure helped taking away the migraines. Um, but that reconnection back to your body, um, you know, that's always going to make you feel better. I mean, who doesn't feel better when they lose a, a couple pounds and then all of a sudden the clothes are a little looser and you have kind of a lighter step or a little bit of a boost of energy. Um, you know, who doesn't love when they don't need as much makeup because they're not covering up a ton of blemishes, but drinking lots of water and kind of flushing out the system. So, you know, I, I feel like there are so many things that you're touching on that um, could help anybody at, at any time, but especially helping you feel a little, a little lighter, a little more feminine, a little, you know, having that little extra grace in your step. Um, 
one of the things I, I do want to share is, you know, when you were talking about your elimination diet, a girlfriend taught me something uh, that I wanted to share who she had, she had an allergy issue and they couldn't figure out what it was. And it was something brand new introduced into her environment. Um, and she lives in Manhattan. So she has the pollution of the city, you know, the hard water, um, the eating out, but all of a sudden she was experiencing horrible, horrible breakouts and she eliminated, she just had to learn how to eliminate all these things, products she was using, food she was eat, eating. Um, it turned out to be a shampoo somebody gifted her from Hawaii that she finally discovered what was what it was. But she learned how to test a food sensitivity. So it sounds, and you said you are no longer on dairy at all. For some people, fully eliminating something from their diet is what's required. And for others, you can, if you're having a, a sensitivity to something that doesn't mean you have to be without it forever. Sometimes if you eliminate it from your diet for a few months, you can reintroduce it. So there's something called the pulse test. Um, when you don't eat one, eat one thing or drink one thing at a time, make sure you're calm, take your, take your pulse and find your resting heartbeat. Then eat that thing. So if it's dairy, gluten, um, a piece of fruit, nuts, and then 10 seconds, I think, or so after eating it, and y'all can Google this, um, check your pulse again. And if your pulse is racing, you may have a sensitivity to that food, not necessarily an allergy, but at that moment in time in your life, your body is having a negative reaction to what you're consuming. And sometimes just pulling that from your diet for a period can help kind of calm all those things down, the inflammation that it would be causing. So that's really want, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Google that if that sounds like something that's interesting to anybody. We have so many comments coming in. So I want to make sure, um, and I'm sorry if I miss anything anybody is saying. Um, you know, uh, Grace Ferris, um, another club member who, who runs transmission. She says, you know, as trans women, we live ironic lives. Um, on the one hand, we experience the joy of being our authentic selves, yet we face persecution from society, which does not understand us. Very true. Um, Bronwyn Drew, another club member says, it's hard to compare journeys, better to concentrate on the lessons learned. Very, very true. Speaking in with your health. So um, another club member, Ashley Glennon, runners are amazing. We train ourselves to put up with an amazing amount of discomfort for fun. It's great training for life, especially trans life. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, found, I found with running, I mean, anyone who, who's a distance runner knows what a runner's high is. And uh, I find I can't possibly worry about anything while I'm running. I, it creates this kind of elevated state in the spirit. I, it's hard to describe it, but you know, any difficulties or worries are just set aside. And, uh, you know, I think yoga has a similar effect too. You know, I mean, they're both unique. I mean, as far as what you get from them, I, I depend on running and, you know, yoga has a place, you know, that nothing else could quite fit too. And, uh, you know, but if you've had anyone who's had the experience of, you know, being trained as a runner knows what I'm talking about. 
Well, and, and you know, anybody who's seen Legally Blonde knows that exercise create endorphins and endorphins <laughs> make happy people. So it can, you know, exercise can be a really great substitute for creating that sense of, of endorphins and creating that, that happiness that can replace, you know, a phone addiction. I've got my phone in my hand or a food addiction or things like that, that we're using to comfort ourselves. Um, you know, Bronwyn, congratulations to Bronwyn. She's doing Noom to lose weight. You know, and one of the things I've loved watching Ashley um, through her journey as a new club member, well, newish this year, uh, you know, watching her have the joy of living as Ashley while running. Um, I love seeing when so many of our sisters are out there and they share those experiences, something that they've long enjoyed in their life. And then they get to enjoy as their authentic self. Um, been loving watching Bronwyn's journey of losing weight because I know that that has been helping her with her self-esteem. So congratulations to you, sweetie. Um, Donna wants to know your thoughts on gluten. Have you experimented with gluten at all, Susan? Uh, yeah, I've done well, uh, and particularly in the last uh, you know three years or so, uh, I had I put a lot of limitations in my diet, obviously from what I've described, and I felt for a long time that you know, gluten was one thing that I didn't really have to worry about because I didn't feel like I was having, you know, such an overt, uh, you know, problem or you know, difficulty there. But I've really limited it quite a bit in the last uh, two or three years. I have not cut out gluten, but I keep it more to a minimum. And my digestion has really improved a lot. Uh, it's eliminated a lot of uh, bloating and and I finally got my waist down to really being truly flat <laughs> where, I mean, there was, I mean, I don't want to turn it into a vanity thing, but, you know, the thing is I, uh, you know, I, I've been able to, uh, you know, as I said, improve my digestion, I think improve my uh, absorb, absorption of nutrients, you know, by cutting gluten down. I don't feel yet that I need to eliminate it, but you know, I've noticed a definite benefit there. Some people have a more specific sensitivity there. And then going back to what you mentioned, it really is important. I want to throw out that same disclaimer that anything I'm talking about is just what has worked for me. I'm not an expert in any of this, but I have become an expert in myself. I think that I've had all these years to find what works for me. And, you know, and I'm very uh, confident in my decisions, but I don't, but I think Everyone has to find what works for them. There are some basic principles that would help anybody, but to specifically tailor one's uh, exercise program or diet is gonna be best if it's really customized for their particular bodies and their you know, particular issues. Uh, I would and, say, oh, go and ahead. I would say with a disclaimer, I, I happen to know Susan does not live a deprived life. I know you enjoy <laughs> wine and champagne. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, how far can we go? <laughs> exactly. So we're not talking about full elimination of all the joys no. of life. No. Yeah. And, um, you know, <laughs> thank you um, to everybody who's, who's continuing to share too. And congratulations, Rami. Um, what she has been doing, limiting carbs and dairy, lost 66 pounds in, in four months. Um, congratulations to all of our members. Um, Susan, and you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about, you, you've mentioned your love of running. Your wife, longtime yogi. For you, this is something that you really just started doing this year, right? 
Well, yeah, just with the January challenge, that was the first I got into it regularly. I have been to a number of yoga classes over the years. I actually probably over like a 20 year period of just occasionally going. I learned enough about yoga over time to incorporate certain yoga moves into my regular mat routine when I would exercise, but I'd never really gotten into a consistent practice until your program came up. And that's where I could really see the value. And that was during COVID. And it was amazing that I couldn't go to the health, you know, to the fitness club during COVID when we had the lockdown. Uh, and I don't have the kind of equipment that I need, uh, particularly for strength training. But I was amazed that from the yoga specifically, I mean, we don't talk about yoga for strength uh, training as much, but doing yoga regularly, when I got back to the gym, I had not lost anything. I, I was really amazed by that, you know, because you're, you're using your own body weight as resistance and there's a lot of strength and toning, you know, from yoga. So that should not be discounted, you know, on top of everything else. I mean, people always talk about the flexibility or the range of motion, but there's so much more that the yoga provides. Yeah. And one of the things with yoga is it really forces you to strengthen your core because yeah. so much of what you're doing is core work or even balancing. You don't even have to be on the ground to be working on your core in, in balanced poses. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like one thing I want to throw out there, I mean, in terms of what this has done for my presentation, uh, just in terms of some of the nitty gritty of that, I've always had a big focus on my core in my workout and yoga fits with that. And I have found that by keeping, this is really just for me, this is my own personal, like feminine aesthetic. And I'm not saying that this is what everyone should strive for. This is what women should be measured to. It's just my own personal image that fits who I genuinely feel that I am in terms of how I wanna present myself. But by uh, staying slim and having my core be very toned and having a thin waistline, uh, you know, any use of uh, shapewear or padding can really be kept to a minimum. You know, in that way, I could be very subtle about any kind of padding because proportionally, I don't need very much if I'm, you know, thin in the waist. So I found for myself, there was a time where I weighed about 30 pounds more. And, you know, when I gain weight, it takes on a distribution that is just purely masculine. I mean, I can't really cover that up, you know, but, but maintaining my body type the way it is now, and I naturally tend to be thin and not bulky, um, you know, it's, it makes it much easier to have a certain type of contour and shape that, that works if I'm just out, you know, walking around and could be perceived, you know, as, you know, feminine from that. Yeah, that's an amazing point. I mean, think of how much more comfortable it is to wear less and less of that padding. Yeah, um, well, and then the other kind of mental conflict that I had with that, this goes back to when I first was going out. And we talked last week about the importance of authenticity, and that was such uh, an area of focus for me. So I had this conflict of, well, I want to be on, I need to be honest, I need to be authentic. But if I'm doing all these things that are sort of an illusion or, you know, kind of a, uh, I don't know what the word is, but, you know, a transformation of myself artificially, I thought, is that really honest? And, 
and I had to kind of come to terms with that. Uh, but basically what I, the way I see it is I don't do, I don't use any products that a woman wouldn't, you know, typically use both in terms of cosmetics or, you know, even uh, shapewear, you know, and as long as it brings me closer to feeling who I genuinely am, you know, then I feel it is an honest expression, but I had to get over that hump of feeling that uh, I'm not relying too much on artificiality, you know, and, and the thing I'm sensitive about is I never want to look like I'm wearing some type of costume, but it has to come across as being genuine and, you know, truthful and expressing my true nature. And that's how I want to be perceived. So the less of that that I can do, the better. Well, and when you are wearing less and less, it gives you the opportunity to feel more comfortable in your authentic self in a pair of jeans with no makeup on or, you know, wearing sweats at home as you may do with your wife. Yeah. And I've gotten good about being able to get out more casually. I I haven't taken the step of going out without makeup. I haven't reached that point. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not often on that point either. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's that's some bravery. <laughs> but um no, I, I I love your whole take, Susan. Thank you so much. And you know, one of the things that you shared in your story about this this two-year kind of blossoming that you've had, and I hate using that word. Um, but you know, y- you've had such a transformation since you've been stepping out of the house as Susan. Um, in that within just a few months you became a part of the leadership or you were asked to become part of the leadership for the Chicago Gender Society. And that is how we met. Uh, So I wanna give a proper shout out to the amazing organization uh, that you're a part of and what you're doing. And and because you you were first on my show a year ago, um, you had invited me to speak a couple of times to your society. so, and you're a club member and you're a yoga student, like you're fully in, in, in the My Feminine Heart family. And so many people have gotten to know you that never would have known you outside of COVID because they're not in Chicago and they have become, you know, people that have participated in your Zoom meetings when you were only on Zoom. They've um, subscribed to the Primrose, your newsletter that has been around for forever. Uh, but now that, you know, you have been going back to meetings in person, what is it like for our folks that I know you have people from Alaska that are, that are part of CGS, what is it like for them? And are there people who can still join and be a part of CGS at this point, if they're not in Chicago? Yeah. And that's something we've learned, you know, through COVID is how much more of a reach that we potentially can have, you know, by taking that step to, uh, have functions that are electronic in nature, you know, which is what, you know, my feminine heart has been really just uh, such a role model for that. But, you know, we were stepping into that direction before I had ever heard about you and what you're doing. So it's kind of interesting that many different organizations were kind of of that same, you know, thought process of, you know, what they could do to replace uh, the in-person function. But, you know, CGS is largely a social organization. And uh, and one thing I hate is uh, for there to be any implication that a group is just of a social nature, you know, because that is so important because I think of social meaning not just socializing or having a good time, but it's about the socialization 
of our community, which includes people that are brand new to stepping out. And we've all talked about the importance of taking that step and having the support to feel that you can become integrated you know, into society. But then we have longtime members and past presidents who were still active with CGS uh, and have been for 20 or 30 years. And they create such a, a positive uh, you know, influence you know, for the newer members that come along. You know, so now that we're back to meeting in person, which we started again in June, it's been another kind of uh, you know, twist on our path of how we continue to take advantage of what we were doing you know, electronically, but we want to give members the chance to get together in person as much as possible. So we have a, a monthly meeting, uh, which is the second Tuesday of every month. Uh, and um, unfortunately, that sometimes conflicts with you know, Trans Tuesday. But then the fourth Tuesday of the month is our monthly social. And then we have a lot of other uh, special events, which uh, mainly have been outings. Like last month, we had a, uh, a Lake Michigan brunch cruise. Uh, and you know, tomorrow we're going to Arlington Park Racetrack and we have a dinner and, you know, uh, dinner and drinks planned after that. So we, we have a, number, a lot of different social activities that are thrown in along with that. What we want to do is also incorporate Zoom only events, which will be on kind of a, a one-off schedule. They won't fit our usual schedule, but they'll be scheduled individually. And then a lot of our meetings will be a shared platform where we have the members meeting in person where we'll have a presenter that might be live uh, on, uh, on site, or we may have a remote presenter like you've done, but then also have members that are connecting in through Zoom. So the combination of our Zooms, which will be Zoom only, our hybrid meetings that people could patch into, you know, and receiving the Primrose uh, monthly, you know, which as you mentioned, that's our monthly publication. It's like between 20 and 25 pages, you know, so it's pretty substantial. You know, I have a column that's in there every month and uh, so does Audrey and, you know, and any member can contribute, you know, their writing to it, you know, like any story that they want to tell and put it in print, you know, we're, we want this to be a forum that our members are actively involved in. Uh, but we also have a lot of news of the transgender community across the country that we publish, you know, and also a calendar of events of all kinds of things that other organizations are doing. Uh, so we have a place for people that can get value from the organization in a number of ways, even if they're not vocal and not meeting with us in person. And hopefully that can supplement uh, their ability to connect in person you know, through avenues that they have locally where they are. But, you know, but we've had a lot of members that have moved away over the years and they've stayed members with CGS because they continue to stay connected. They get the primrose and it's a way to stay connected to the friendships that they've formed. I mean, I know for me, when I first joined, one of the main things I got initially was this revelation that transgender doesn't just mean this one definition that I was reading that you're either pre-op or post-op and you're planning a completely binary transition. And, you know, I. I was looking, I, I was having trouble finding anything that was telling me the whole diversity of what you could find in this community. And what I learned very quickly was 
you know, what a broad range there is in the spectrum and also how welcoming the community is. I mean, somebody can come in, you know, as a new person just stepping out and find uh, so much, you know, support and, you know, welcoming and, you know, friendships that are readily available. And, you know, I'm still amazed and also by the allies that I've met over the last year, people I've reached out to just through cold contacts, you know, to ask them to uh, participate, you know, with our organization or to present for us like you have. And almost without exception, I've gotten such an accommodating response back and, you know, such a responsiveness and a willingness to join with us and help any way that people can. And then we try to help the allies in return by, you know, supporting their businesses as well you know, because they're providing such a great uh, function for the community. I mean, I, we want to do whatever we can to repay that. I think you've done a fabulous job. Um, and I love how how welcoming and there's so many ways for someone to be involved. Is there is there an annual fee to be a yeah. member of CGS? Yeah, it's on an annual basis. And uh, the fee entitles uh, a member to uh, free attendance at all the meetings uh, and receiving the primrose. Uh, our socials are open to everybody, member or non-member. Uh, a non-member can attend one of our monthly meetings without a fee for the first time. And then after that, people don't even necessarily have to join. They could pay on a meeting by meeting basis, you know, for attendance. But, you know, the fee is relatively low for all that somebody gets. I mean, as a member, you know, with attendance to all the meetings and the primrose, it's uh, $70 a month. And we're talking about maybe a two-tiered level. So to, if somebody's remote and attending by Zoom only and not really able to be here for the social functions, we may have a lower tier where, you know, they won't, you know, have as high of a membership fee, you know, to consider that different situation. You know, but you know, a lot, the fact is a lot of trans people are struggling financially too. So we need to keep this affordable and accessible, you know, for as many people as possible. So as I said, the uh, having the uh, socials be open to anybody, you know, that, that's a, a great way to step out and get to know a lot of people without even deciding whether somebody wants to join or not. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much that that little bit of an annual donation goes into. I mean, how many copies of the Primrose do you all print? Well, it goes out to all of our active members. It also goes out to all of our advertisers and some of them get multiple copies so that they can have that available, you know, for their you know services and businesses where they're reaching more people in the trans community. So, I mean, offhand, I don't know the exact number, but I think it's over a hundred that uh, that receive it. You know, most of them are getting it electronically, and some people are still getting a printed version uh, mailed to them. I love how you have the variety for whatever anybody's heart desires. You know, in person, online, social, different activities. If they want to read the paper, you know, it's just it's yeah, yeah it's you you've covered every generation's desire. Um, and one group. And thank you so much for everything that you're doing. I know you provide so much back to all of your members, not just the ones that are in Chicago and, and the work that you're doing 
um, it's so hard sometimes to, to be a volunteer and think, you know, it, being a volunteer can be a full-time job. And um, thank you. Thank you for your oh, sure. advocacy and for well, your time. Yeah, I, I, it means a lot to me and I'm doing uh, as much as I can. And there's actually even a couple other organizations here that I'm established as a volunteer for that serve the overall LGBTQ plus community in a broader sense. So there's the Center on Halstead, which is a very important uh, support center in the Midwest here, uh, and then also Chicago House. Uh, so you know, I'm involved on some level with both of them. And, and they get into a broad level of services of you know, providing assistance for uh, housing, uh, employment uh, opportunities, and assistance you know, with employment issues. Um, you know, healthcare in terms of steering people where they need and including uh, continuing to fight against uh, HIV AIDS, uh, you know, and the struggles with that that the community still has. Um, uh, legal services are made available, you know, and, you know, counseling groups for different slices of the community. You know, there are, uh, and discussion groups and different support functions for seniors, uh, for the youth organization. So, you know, these other organizations are really broad in their function. And with CGS, we're trying not to copy all of that or, or, um, <coughs> or um, you know, duplicate what's already being done. You know, we want to stick to what we can do best. And another function that we can have is steer people to the organizations that you know, can provide more specialized support that they might need. And they may, may not know about these resources that are out there. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, thank you so much. I'm so, it's amazing how much is out there yeah. in support of this community. And I'm so glad that you are bringing all of that to light for anybody who may not be aware of it. Um, so as, as we are, we've already been on for over an hour. Um, I want to touch back. And that's the funny thing about us being an interactive show. So sometimes we move on to one topic and we still have comments coming in. So um, from, from our previous chat. So wanted to touch on Ashley Glennon, your fellow runner. Uh, she says she runs for the love of beer. And uh, she also completely relates to your costume thinking. Uh, losing more and more of her costume has helped her to feel so much more comfortable Laser treatment on the beard allows for no more makeup on the face, and her hair is finally long enough to no longer wear as a wig. Um, she feels like she's finally presenting as herself each day, and others are noticing. Yeah, I've seen it too, and I, I do like what she's doing with her hair. I'm, I've been seeing the posts of that progress there, and uh, Ashley, you're, you're on the right track. It's, it's really beautiful. Yeah, good job, sweetie. Um, and for, you know, um, Rami, who has been, who has already lost 66 pounds, she has a, an exercise diet question for you. She says her stomach is only shrinking a bit. Um, and all the weight loss seems to be more in her face and arms and legs. And what can she do to flatten her stomach more? Do you yeah. have any advice? Well, first of all, you know, none of us have control of where we lose weight. You know, we can lose weight, but our bodies are programmed to uh, control how it's distributed. So you can't really do weight loss in a targeted way, but you can do toning, you know, and I have a lot of, you know, bench exercises and, you know, other machines I use that really focus, you know, on the core and, uh, 
Yeah, but it's very hard to see definition there and unless that is slimmed down enough, you know, for it to show. But, you know, as you know, I mean, you mentioned, you brought up the core first, and that's so important to one's health and, uh, you know, avoiding back issues. And, uh, you know, so even aside from appearance, it's, it's such an important area to pay that attention to. But as I said, there's not really a way to target uh, weight loss. But if, uh, if she has the desire to lose there, then she just has to lose like wherever it's going to come off. I mean, I found it was true for my face as well. I mean, I know I have a large face. So, <laughs> I mean, that's just structurally the case. But as, uh, as I lost weight, you know, my, uh, my face and the shape of my jaw actually changed. I wasn't targeting anything with that, you know, but it tightened up and, you know, and the uh, structure even appears uh, differently, you know, just from, you know, a certain exercise routine that's done holistically, you know, and, you know, and controlling weight. But, you know, I, it's very difficult to be consistent, you know, with weight loss. I know a lot of people have, have challenges with it going up and down and, and I have found for me that um, I was able to change my taste in food in a way that I never have cravings for anything that I don't eat anymore because what I want has actually changed so much. So it's never a struggle. It's not a matter of discipline. It's just that I have transformed what I gravitate to because that's the only way to do it like over a 30-year period. And when I say 30 years, I mean, that's Part of the point too is this is all very gradual and no one should get discouraged if they don't see immediate results because some things, if they're done the, in the best way are just going to have to be gradual. That's often the best way to see progress, I think. And that's a very good point. And Rami, I mean, you said you lost 66 pounds in four wow. months. That's very fast. That's really fast. Yeah. Yeah. So I would just, you know, be really happy, you know, have little, have little moments. So even if you feel you still have a stomach, celebrate other things, like maybe when you um, go down into a new set of clothing or like a new size, or you can go buy a new pair of clothing for yourself, you know, like those little rewards that you can have celebrate the progress as you go and don't get discouraged that you're not at your end yet because you're doing fantastic. Yeah, when, um, I, when I answered, I, I hadn't caught how much uh, she had lost and so quickly. So yeah, that's the point. If that much has been accomplished that fast, then uh, just keep going. But, you know, it's, you know, to, it's good. It takes time and it takes consistency and and I never had a target for that. It's to me, it's just a different way of life. And, um, you know, and I didn't have some end state that I was working toward. I just, because for me, it was the fear of falling back into the health issues that I had. So anything I could do to avoid that, you know, gave me all the motivation I needed. So I didn't have to have any target other than just staying as healthy as I could. The one thing I would say, Rami, is, um, you know, it sounds like you're doing a great job. You can't outrun your fork. So as we are talking about running specifically, I have done permanent injury to myself by escalating my training 
beyond like too quickly. So I think, you know, when you're a runner, they say you shouldn't increase what you do more than 10% a week, I believe is, is a margin. So if, if running is new to you, do not just go out and, and run five miles. You, you need to, or whatever exercise, if you decide to incorporate more exercise, know that you can't eat any, and I'm not saying you're, you're doing this. This is what I tell anybody. You can't eat anything you want and think you can exercise it off. That's that phrase. You can't outrun your fork. Um, so it starts with what you put in first and then whatever exercise you do gradual and gentle to your body. Cause once you, what I tell my yoga students all the time, when I'm teaching them new, um, poses, don't push yourself to the point of pain, because if you pull something, if you injure something, you're done completely. And then oh, how disheartening it is when you are on a path of health and you have a setback, like an injury that, that holds you back. So be very proud of yourself. What you're doing sounds amazing. Slow and steady wins the race. Um, <laughs> you know, and I'm excited to see, you know, how your progress continues and congratulations. Um, you know, and she's saying, yep, instead of running, she rides a bike. So that is because, because of her knees. That's wonderful. Uh, there's one comment in here I really wanted to get to. And I'm having, you've had so many comments in it. I'm, I'm having to scan back. But, um, you know, Susan, I wanted to thank you so much for, for everything that you shared. I know you shared some very personal things tonight. And Robin Clement said it beautifully. She said, yep, dot, dot, dot not going to whine about my tiny challenges for a while. The things we face in life don't have to make us who we are, but they do reveal what we are. Your character is amazing. Robin, thank oh, you for sharing yeah. that. That is a beautiful summation of, of your, Susan's character it is tremendous. Oh. Um, oh, thank, thank you very much. And, uh... And I'm not above getting overly worked up over trivial things too. It's funny how your perspective changes. And when you tackle the big stuff, uh, then you get back to, you know, over dramatizing the little things. I, I, I do try to keep things in perspective and I, I do hang on to a perspective and a sense of gratitude that uh, I think, I mean, to me is central to, uh, how I need to see myself and how I need to interact with the world around me. Um, and I'm grateful for just all the encounters I have with people in general. You know, when I first came out, I was ready for any type of abuse or harassment that might come. And I actually remember like the first couple of socials I had gone to, and I'm, I was in the mindset of being very defensive and thinking, okay, whatever bad is out there, I want it now because I want to know what I have to face and let's get it out there. And then it didn't happen. You know, it's um, the world I have found is so much more accepting than I ever had expected because it's not what it was when I was growing up. And, you know, back in the 60s or 70s, it was a different environment then. And I was locked in a mindset that none of that has changed because I had myself hidden away but uh, it's just amazing how much acceptance uh, one can find. And uh, I just try to interact with people in the most positive way that I can and you know, treat other people well and I get treated well also. So uh, you know, it seems my, my interaction in public in general has been so much more positive than it ever was in my male role. I, I don't, 
even entirely understand why that is, but and maybe it has to do with projecting more your truth and being able to project more as a genuine person. But you know, it's much easier now for me to connect with people quickly. And I don't mean just in the trans community. So, so that's something I have found that's really changed. I love that. And you know, I, I think there is something too you stepping out of your home as Susan, you stepped out into a whole new world for yourself, but not just yourself, what you give back to the world. Um, and so, you know, all that happiness, all that confidence, all that, you know, living your, your most authentic life as you wish is just, it's creating a positive ripple effect for the rest of the world. So thank you for sending that positivity back our way. Well, thank you so much. Uh, and you, you reinforce so much that's positive just in the way that my feminine heart is projected to not only the members, but then out to the world as well. And that positivity is inspiring. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but you were, you're the one who got me onto Facebook. You know, I had avoided social media up until only about a year ago, you know, and mainly because I thought, well, social media is such a toxic environment. I don't want to have anything to do with it, but you and others have shown, you know, what a positive way it can be used. And, you know, it can be uh, an enlightening environment. It could be a great way to uh, form new connections, you know, and just find that there is a lot of positivity there as well. Thank you. And that is, that is a very good point. And that is, you know, it's something we actively have to do. Um, you know, every once in a while, I'll have a moment where I want to complain about something online. I'm like, you know what, I don't want to put that out in the world. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like diet and exercise. It's what do we want our mindset to be? How do we want our soul to feel? How do we want to feel inside and out? It's, it's all part of a conscious decision of like, how do we want to be for ourselves and, and how do we want to share ourselves with the world? So Susan, thank yeah. you. Thank you. I'm so glad you're now on Facebook and thank you for sharing <laughs> so much of yourself tonight. Before we end tonight's program, I have so many updates and things that are happening. So um, one, if anybody is going that's listening to the Lake Erie Gala in November, this is going to be the biggest Erie gathering of all time uh, up till this point. I'm sure every year is going to get bigger, but this is going to be a big one. Um, it'll be my first time in Erie. We have so many fabulous experts from My Feminine Heart who are going to be there. Um, I'm going to be teaching classes and doing photography and teaching yoga. We also have image consultant Lindsay Taub. We have um, Casey Grimm, owner of Rise Beauty Company. Her spawn salon is going to be up there with her team doing makeovers, and they're going to be teaching. Lindsay's going to be teaching, of course, and styling people. Beth McKinley from Thrivent um, is going to be up there, and she's going to um, be a beautiful, warm, and welcoming soul to anybody who wants to talk about their financial future and planning for their future with somebody who is um, loving and accepting of this community, who understands the needs of this community for financial planning. So she's going to be there. And um, club member Liz Tattersall, health and life coach. Um, Liz, I hope you're watching because she's a health coach, so I'm sure she was all over this tonight. 
um, she is going to be there coaching as well. So we have so many members of the My Feminine Heart family that are traveling up to Erie, all of us for the first time. So we're super psyched. So the news for Erie is it's the week of November 17th. Um, there are three hotels in play. The two main hotels that are connected by like a drawbridge where the main event is happening is the Marriott and the Sheraton. As of the last email I got today, there's only two rooms left at the Sheraton that are part of the room block. All the rooms in the Marriott part of the room block are gone. That doesn't mean you can't stay there, but you're not part of the discounted block. So the crew has organized um, more rooms at the Hampton Inn, a thousand feet away within walking distance of the hotel or like a little short drive. You can stay at the Hampton Inn. They have rooms available in their room block, but then once those are gone, I guess it's whatever you can find it at full price. Um, we've, it's been booking out so fast. We're so excited to see everybody. It's going to be the first big public social gathering really of this size on the East Coast. So super excited. Um, if you want to know more, go to the Lake Erie Gala uh, website. If you just Google Lake Erie Gala, it'll pop up for you. And if you want to stay more in the loop and you're not getting any information, you can get them from them and from us. So sign up for our email. You can go to myfeminineheart.com or send me an email info at cassandrastorm.com. I'll get you in our email list so you can know everything that is happening up to date with My Feminine Heart and our upcoming events like Erie. So as of next week for upcoming events, we have another Trans Tuesday episode this one will be a signature series with um, our favorite boutique owner, Alexandria Hammond, who owns my girlfriend's wardrobe. Um, now, sadly, because her boutique is closed when we do this show late at night, uh, that episode is going to be pre-recorded, but we've been asking our club members to vote in our email and on our Facebook page. So club members go to the Facebook page with anything that you wanna see in the video, any questions that you have, and we will tailor it to you. So she will be next Tuesday. Um, and then wanna give everybody a far shout out. So back in November, we're coming back for another club member Zoom social for an open mic night. We had an open mic night a few months ago and it was so amazing, so much fun. We had club members who did stand-up comedy, who um, shared their own written music, uh, who did covers um, of other music. We had, there was so much talent. It was so fun. So we're going to bring that back again in September. Grab your songbooks, grab your guitars, get ready because our next open mic night is coming up in a few weeks. And last but not least, I hope you are joining us as we are reading our book club of the quarter. Our book is um, Between Shadow and Sun, A Husband's Journey Through Gender and a Wife's Labor of Love. This book was written by our very first couple of the month, Tina um, and Mary White. Mary's a club member and she wrote the foreword for her wife's book, Tina, as she talked about her life and her journey as a trans woman. It's an incredible book. And we are going to be discussing that together at the end of September. So if you haven't gotten it yet, you can get it on Amazon. You can get the paper or electronic version. And we are going to have so much fun chatting about that book and having um, the writers join us. I know Mary is definitely joining us. And I think Tina is too, uh, to talk about their books with our club. So get ready. We have our next club membership 
meeting our book club coming up in September. And I think that is everything for tonight. We had so many news and updates. So much is happening. Um, Want to thank everybody for joining us this evening. It has been beyond fabulous to have so many of our audience members and club members join in the discussion. Susan, thank you so much for joining in from Chicago and um, for making the time for us this evening. And for anybody who wants to do CGS and still be a part of My Feminine Heart, you can because we're on different time zones. So you can actually catch our, our episodes and the CGS meetings at different times. So lots of love and lots of information to share around the globe as we team up together. Susan, thank you again. Well, thank you so much, Cass. And uh, thanks to everybody for all the participation that we had tonight. That's great. Yeah, it's been really awesome to hear about everybody's personal journeys. So excited to watch them continue. Love you all. Have a beautiful evening. Next week, airing for club members only, but everyone else will be able to listen to Alexandria Hammond's style episode. Good night, everyone. We love you. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>